So, words to make us wise. I hope you've been enjoying our series through the book of Proverbs. Remember that King Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, wrote these Proverbs to teach God's people how to be wise in the way that they lived. And the setting of Proverbs, if you read from the very beginning of the book, is that of a father sharing his wisdom and life experience with his son so that his son can then live wise, a wise life. Nelson's Expository Dictionary of the Old Testament defines this word proverb this way. It says it comes from the verb meaning to be like, to be compared with, to be parallel or to be similar. And so these proverbs are nuggets of truth presented using comparisons and contrasts and metaphors and figures of speech. And when we read the book of Proverbs, it's important to remember this truth. You see, Proverbs are really general truths about life. They're not prescriptive truths. It's important to know that. That means that they're not formula that we just apply to a situation so that if you do this, this is the automatic outcome. Proverbs leads us to a pattern of behavior that if we consistently follow it, it will provide us with the best chance for achieving a good outcome. The Jewish community recognized that they need wisdom and that wisdom was the only possible way to make good decisions. And so the community needed this ability to discern right from wrong, to to understand what was good for them and what was destructive, to know what was important in life and what was futile. And so Solomon provided these kinds of nuggets of truth to provide discernment, and it highlighted for them ways to live wisely rather than foolishly in life. So I hope you've been enjoying learning about God's standards for wise living these past weeks over the summer. And if you've missed any of the messages, I encourage you, just check them out on our YouTube channel. You can go back and see anything there that you have missed. Last week, we looked at a common phrase that appears frequently in the book of Proverbs. It's this phrase, the fear of the Lord. And we learned how do we restore this awe of God back in our lives. Today, I want to look at another topic in the book of Proverbs that also shows up frequently. It's an attitude the Bible calls pride. And I want, us, and I want us to see today what the Bible says about solving the problem of pride. Last week, like it was, I said it was hard to pick a proverb specifically as a text for the message, and today's the same case because there is so much in the book of Proverbs talking about this topic. But here's a verse that I want us to remember. Proverbs 8.13 ties last week's message with this one. It says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, the Lord says, evil behavior and perverse speech. To fear the Lord to have this reverent awe of who he is, his power, his majesty, his grace, his mercy, his love, should naturally then lead us to hate evil, to hate the things that God hates, to hate the things that are in opposition to God. And Proverbs 8 makes it clear that God hates pride and arrogance. Earlier in Proverbs 6, 
Solomon writes this in verse 16 and 17, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Isn't it interesting that on this list of the things that God hates, at the top of the list is this, word, this phrase, haughty eyes, or as some translations put it, a proud look. Why do you think that would be at the top of the list? Well, I tend to agree with a number of biblical scholars on this, that pride tops the list because in reality, pride is really at the root of all of sin and rebellion against God. From the Bible, we understand that pride is what caused Satan initially one of God's most majestic archangels to desire to be like God, to take his place. And so he rebelled against God, leading to his expulsion from heaven. And he took a third of the angels with him who were followers of him. Pride caused Adam and Eve to want to be like God in the Garden of Eden. And so they ate the forbidden fruit, bringing sin and brokenness into the world and passing that sin nature on to every human being that ever lived. And Solomon tells us that pride is at the root of sin. Here's another proverb stating that. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the unplowed field of the wicked, produce sin. And he goes on to highlight all through Proverbs that pride is the greatest obstacle to acquiring godly wisdom that we are looking for. Here's a verse Proverbs 13.10, where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. And so pride hinders us from gaining the wisdom we are looking for. Pride hinders us from understanding God's truth about how do we can live a life of purpose, truth that he's given us in his word, the Bible. But I think most of us probably don't think that we have a pride problem. You see, that is the problem. Pride can often be so elusive to us. We can often be unaware that our words or our behavior are motivated by pride in our lives. And so today, I want to list a few symptoms that I have experienced personally in my own life that I think may help us in our own self-reflection so that we can identify pride and hopefully do something about it. And for each symptom, I want to give an example from the Bible to just help us see what that looks like in life. So let's begin. Our first symptom of pride is when we think we are better than others. You see, pride leads to an inflated view of ourselves. In the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible there, there's a group of books that are historical books and in the book of 2 Kings in chapter 5, we read the story about a Syrian army commander, and his name was Naaman. He was a great warrior, and he won many victories for his country. And the people there in Syria greatly respected this man, but he had a problem. He had a horrible skin disease called leprosy. However, through the help of an Israelite slave girl, 
Naaman learned about this great prophet, Elisha, whom God would work through and who would be able to heal him. So Naaman went to Elisha and asked for healing, but this is what happened. When he arrives in Israel looking for Elisha, Elisha didn't even bother to come out and greet this great commander. Rather, Elisha just sent a servant out to him, telling Naaman, just just go wash yourself in the Jordan River seven times and you will be healed. Naaman was furious. First, Elisha wouldn't even show him the respect that he deserved by meeting him in person. And then, to make matters worse, he gives this ludicrous set of instructions through a servant. Wash himself in that filthy Israelite river, the Jordan, and not just once, but seven times. Listen to Naaman's response. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he, that's Elisha, would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Banna, the Parfar, better than any of the rivers in Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? And so Naaman turned and went away in rage. You see, Naaman let his pride and his arrogance prevent him from accepting the simple instructions that God's prophet had given him to be healed. His inflated view of himself almost cost him the healing that he desperately came to Israel looking for. Fortunately, Naaman had a wise servant and that servant encouraged him to just just do what Elisha said. How hard can that be? And Naaman did, and he was healed. Pride can cause us to have an inflated view of ourselves. And it leads us to think that we're better than other people. It leads us to think that we deserve to be treated with more respect. It it leads us to think that we should get more recognition than we often do. Here's a question. When someone makes a constructive suggestion to you, what's your initial reaction? Do you immediately become defensive or are you open to listening and learning how to do things perhaps differently, how to do things perhaps better than the way you were doing them? Let me just say there's nothing wrong with confidence, but when we think we have arrived, that's where the problem starts. When we think that we are no longer needing to be taught things, when we're not teachable any longer, when we think that we're too good to do a simple task or a menial job, it could be a symptom of pride. A second symptom that we have, especially as Christians, that pride leads to an elevated view of our spiritual maturity. We believe that we are more mature than other believers. Now, I want to clarify something here, that spiritual growth is a process. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you are, or at least I hope you are, growing in your spiritual maturity. So that means there will be individuals who are not as far along as you in your journey of faith, but there will be others who are further along than you in their journey of faith. The Bible teaches us this. 
The problem is when we look down on individuals who are still growing in their faith or we criticize other Christians who don't do things the same way we do because they think that their way is right and our way is wrong. Jesus told a parable to his disciples about this issue. A a parable is a story that has a deeper spiritual meaning. Listen to what Jesus taught us in Luke chapter 18. I love the way he introduces this parable, clearly identifying who he's addressing it to. He says in Luke 18 verse 9, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to, a temple, to the temple to pray, one a religious leader, a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed to God, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all I get, but the tax collector stood at a distance He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, Jesus said, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, pride can lead to an elevated view of where we are in our spiritual journey to the point that we become critical of others in their journey of faith rather than extending grace and coming alongside to encourage others in their journey to help them grow. So pride leads to an elevated view of our spiritual maturity. The third symptom that I want to look at this morning can point to a problem of pride when we spend too much time talking about the things that we have done. You see, pride leads to excessive talk about our own accomplishments. We intentionally direct our conversations to focus on ourselves and the things that we have done with the intention of impressing other people. In the Old Testament, one of the kings of Judah, Hezekiah, let pride get the best of him. Hezekiah was a very godly king who truly tried to honor God in the way that he ruled and reigned. At one point, he was dying from a deadly disease, and he prayed to God, and God miraculously healed him. Unfortunately, his recovery drew a lot of attention of the surrounding nations, and the king of Babylon sent an envoy to Israel to see if he could perhaps ally himself with this king, Hezekiah. Well, Hezekiah was just thrilled at the attention that his healing drew and his pride led him to show these foreign emissaries all the vast treasures of Israel, boasting about his great wealth. You can read about it in 2 Kings chapter 20. See, Hezekiah's actions were foolish because he exposed the wealth of Israel to a foreign nation and eventually only a few generations later Babylon would come and invade Israel and take all of that wealth and riches away as plunder and take Hezekiah's own descendants away as captives. Hezekiah's pride led him to boast about his accomplishments and God sent the prophet Isaiah to rebuke his arrogance and prophesy even about the consequences of his foolishness. 
See, God is gracious to us. He is a loving Father. And in His grace, He blesses us with skills and abilities to accomplish great things. It leads us to our promotions at work. It leads us to be on the honor roll at school. It leads us to be chosen as the captain of our soccer team. And God gives us resources to be able to acquire things. A new car, a beautiful cottage, even designer clothing. There's nothing wrong with these things as long as we are grateful and acknowledge that it is God who blesses us with these things. And he's the one who has given us the ability to accomplish anything. God wants us to share our lives and experiences with other people. But his purpose is so that we give glory and honor to him for all the wonderful blessings he's given us. Unfortunately, when we talk about ourselves and our accomplishments as if they were the result of our own efforts, we can be guilty of pride. The last symptom I want to highlight this morning has to do with head knowledge versus heart action. You see, pride leads us to focus on knowledge rather than live out grace. You know, sometimes I think we can get so caught up in filling our heads with information that we forget that God has called us to love and care for people, especially people that are looking and searching for him. This was a big issue for the religious leaders in Jesus' day, and he frequently called them out on it. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 27. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and of the Pharisees are officers, are the office, official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey what they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they preach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra-long tassels, and they love to sit at the head of tables at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi or teacher. You see, Jesus acknowledges, Jesus acknowledges that religious leaders and Pharisees were the rightful teachers of the law. In fact, they had probably the whole law memorized, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible called the law of God. They had it memorized. They knew every law inside and out. But all that head knowledge of the law led them to pride and arrogance, and they looked down on anyone who was not keeping the law to a T. And Jesus rebuked them for it because they had all that head knowledge of how God wanted them to live, but they didn't have it down in their hearts and they were unwilling to even help people to live out the laws that God had given them. They were arrogant. They were not sensitive to the struggles people went through. And when people did struggle or mess up, they were judgmental, the first to criticize and condemn them, never extending grace, never extending compassion, and modeling the grace that God extended to them when they fell short. But again, that's what the problem is, isn't it? They never thought they fell short, and they never felt like they did anything requiring forgiveness. And Jesus 
called them out on their arrogance and pride, and he did it frequently. I think one of the biggest problems that many of us in the Western church deal with is pride. We fill our heads with theological knowledge, but it never translates down into our heart, into the way that we live and desire to care for other people. Paul Tripp says in his book, Dangerous Calling, that I referenced last week, let me read this quote to you. Biblical knowledge is a vital, essential, and irreplaceable thing, but it must not be confused with true faith or personal spiritual maturity. Faith is deeply more than what you do with your brain. Knowledge is an aspect of faith, but it doesn't define faith. Ultimately, faith is an investment of the heart that leads to a radically new way of living your life. So, how do we resist pride? Does Solomon have words of wisdom for us on overcoming this issue that God hates and that the Bible says leads to our destruction? Well, yes, there is a solution. Let me begin with this verse, Proverbs 11:2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But then the proverb goes on to say this, but with humility comes wisdom. And so today... Our words to make us wise are calling us to live in humility. Jesus modeled what a life of humility looks like. And he wants us to follow his example. Listen to what the Apostle Paul, one of the authors in the New Testament that wrote the majority of the letters there. He talks about the example of Jesus' humility. It's a long passage. Bear with me. Let's read it. Philippians 2, verse 3 to 11 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you to the interests of others. There's his command to us. And then he shows us the example of Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus is God. But he freely, willingly gave up the incredible glory of living in heaven to become a human being like you and me so that he could come and serve and teach us how to live. And most importantly, he came to save us by dying for us on a cross. You see, the penalty for our sin and brokenness is death, the Bible says. It's a separation from God. And pride is one of those deadly sins that separate us from God. But Jesus gave his life to pay for that penalty. 
He took our place when he died on the cross so that our sin can be forgiven and our relationship with God restored again. That's what Jesus did for us. But our part in this process is surrender. We need to actually recognize that we are broken people. We are sinful people. And then confess to God that we need Jesus to save us and forgive us. And then when we put our faith and our trust in him, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, God changes us. We become a new person. And our sins are forgiven. Our pride and our arrogance and our selfishness, all that brokenness is forgiven. And our relationship with God is restored again. He becomes our father and we become adopted children in his family. That's the good news of God's rescue plan for a broken world for you and for me. But you see, there's one thing that you need to overcome to take that step of faith, and that's pride. You see, pride deceives us into saying we don't need a Savior. Pride deceives us in saying that we are good enough to get to heaven on our own. Pride deceives us by saying that we can find our own way to fix our sin and brokenness. If you're here today or watching online and you want to break free from the grip of pride and surrender your life to Jesus, please, come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Louie. Come talk to the person maybe that you were invited to come to church with today. Send us an email if you're online. We want to help you to surrender to Jesus today, to overcome pride in your heart and to take that step of faith. For those here that have already made the commitment to follow Jesus, pride still plagues our lives. We also need to follow Jesus' example and to humble ourselves. So what are some practical steps that we can take to combat pride in our life and pursue the kind of humility that Jesus models for us? Let's quickly look at three things. First, humility acknowledges that we never arrive. You see, humility recognizes that we are all sinful. We have all messed up, and we need God's grace. We're always going to be a work in process because God is never finished molding us into the people he wants us to be until we get to heaven. We must never forget that we are on this journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. It's a process the Bible calls sanctification. A process where we're growing and we're learning how to live and how to behave and how to think like Jesus did. And so humility leads us to not elevate ourselves above others, but to think of others ahead of ourselves as we just read about in that passage in Philippians. The second solution is that humility recognizes our total dependency on God. You see, pride leads us to be self-sufficient, to think that we can do life or ministry or whatever, that we can just do it on our own. Humility leads us to depend on God to direct us, to give us wisdom and discernment in the decisions we make so that our decisions can align with his. He guides us. And that his plans for our life can be followed 
when we seek his wisdom and are dependent on him. Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And then he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And if we really took that verse to heart, we would stop letting pride deceive us and thinking that we can do our jobs or that we can lead our families or that we can love our spouse or that we can nurture our children or we can serve in the church or accomplish anything without God and his spirit at work in our lives. Humility leads us to live in total dependency on God. Thirdly, humility leads us to collaborate with others. Humility helps us realize we actually need other people in our lives to accomplish God's purposes for us. You see, God doesn't build his kingdom using lone rangers. He has designed his church, what the Bible describes as the body of Christ, for us to be interdependent. It's part of our values here at Grace, to be interdependent. Because we need each other to accomplish his purposes. We need others to help us and we learn to collaborate so that together we can grow and serve the Lord. Humility helps us see value in others so that we work together so that we can then reach our community for Jesus. Pride is a destructive attitude. And Solomon tells us that pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall, Proverbs 16, 18. But pride can be overcome. It can be overcome with God's help. And so we need to ask God to help us identify the symptoms of pride in our lives. God, we need to ask God to help us change our attitude about ourselves and then turn our focus onto him. God reminds us about this in Jeremiah 9. I love this passage, verse 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. See, there's the symptoms of pride. But God says, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have understood to know me, that they have understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. Those are the character qualities that God wants us to live out in our lives. To be looking out for the interests of others, exercising kindness and justice, and righteousness, doing what's right. These are the things that God delights in, Scripture says. But it takes humility. Intentionally focusing on the Lord. Like we said last week, living every day in awe of God. Following the example of Jesus. Putting God first. And then thinking of others ahead of ourselves. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word again this morning that reminds us, God, that pride is a problem. Pride is a problem that we need to deal with in our lives. First of all, Lord, I pray that you would reveal it to us 
God, it can be elusive, so open our hearts to do a pride check so that we can know, Lord, when we are guilty and need to confess our sin to you so that we can seek your forgiveness, God, and also change our attitude. God, fill us with humility, I pray. Help us to depend on you, God. We need your Holy Spirit to help us and empower us to live a humble life. Help us to follow the example of Jesus, Lord. He stooped down and washed the feet of his disciples, only something a Jewish slave would do. But he did it, the Son of God washing the the feet of his disciples. God, help us to follow Jesus' example, to humble ourselves, Lord, to depend on you, always realizing, God, that we're still on this journey of growing in our faith. And help us to work together with others, loving them, caring for them, working together, Lord, putting others and their interests ahead of our own. But we need you to do that, God. So give us strength and give us wisdom. Thank you for these wise words from Solomon. God, help us to live a humble life to bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.